Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Relay Podcast. Today on uh today on today's episode we have our very own brother Muhammad Ali, born and raised in New York, uh, but currently residing in Dallas, Texas. Uh, brother Muhammad has been an active community member since he was a child. From his local masjid to grassroots initiatives to national organizations, Muhammad has gained experience and network to help uplift communities and spread accurate knowledge and provide healthy, fun, and religiously sound opportunities for marginalized youth and young adults. Muhammad currently holds a master's in clinical mental health counseling from the College of Staten Island. With his expertise, he consults with organizations and masjids on issues dealing with mental health. So, it's a warm welcome, Brother Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you, man? Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi It's weird to hear your own bio. <laughs> yeah. Inshallah. I'm sure it is. Alhamdulillah. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Alhamdulillah. Um, so, Muhammad, our first question is a very broad one. Why is mental health important and what makes this field so important for Muslims specifically? Alhamdulillah. I mean, mashallah, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, you know, this is a huge topic in its own. And I get asked this actually, funny enough, a lot of times when I'm like out somewhere or like I'm giving talks. Um, it's it's not as simple, but it is simple, right? Um, because the idea that, you know, mental health um, is important in general is because like you'll hear any mental health professional say like, if your body's hurting, you go to, a, you know, you go to, to a doctor. Same thing with your mind and soul. The big difference is, is that, you know, when your mind is going through something, you can't see it, right? There's, of course, physical, you know, neurons and chemicals and hormones and so all that, so, so on and so forth. But, like, the doubt, the stress, you know, the overthinking, it's not something that's tangible. And it's harder to relay. And it's kind of like, I remember learning this in class where uh, we know more about the ocean, which covers, what, two-thirds of the earth, than we know about our own brain. And on top of that, we're, you know, trying to go into somewhere where, you know, we don't understand, we don't know. And subhanAllah, this perfectly translates to Islam and Islamic sciences is because it's it's funny because when I was going into the field, um, you know, I was, you know, business major and so on and so forth. And then I was like, you know what, what am I, how can I help with the business major? I really fell in love with the, you know, mental health and psychology because I was able to work with the community, with the youth, and they were struggling, right? They didn't know their identity. This was post 9-11, right? We were like, are we American Muslim or Muslim American, right? And then the deals of go happening and what's happening in public versus what's happening at home. It's just, there was just a lot of conflict and there was a lot of stress, you know, created from it. And going into this field and I'm like, you know, more and more, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, I was taught this, you know, in Sunday school, my parents taught me this. I started realizing, wow, mashallah, like, Islam is a religion of his, uh, of mental health. And I'm like, wow, like that's why I started really liking it. And then more and more I started learning and started realizing that was a false notion. It's not that Islam is a religion of mental health. Mental health is just a component of Islam. And that in itself was so beautiful because in general, Islam, you know, we've been put, we've been taught that Islam is a religion, putting in this category of what religion is, faith and so on and so forth. But we should learn as Muslims that Islam is a way of life. And within way of life, you know, there's, of course, 
physical attributes, social things, and mental. And with this all encompassing, as Muslims, in order to have a sound, you know, our iman is, you know, of sound and our akhlaq and, you know, our Islam in general, our deen, mental health is a very, very, very important part. And subhanAllah, it's just like, the more and more I'm studying either, you know, psychology, the more and more my, my I have yaqeen in my, in my Islam and subhanAllah, as, as, you know, people, inshallah, you know, slowly, slowly try to find themselves through the lens of, of Islam, you'll see that it opens, you know, a door of, of different, uh, what is it called? Uh, it's hard to put into words, but it's like, you find not only more secure about yourself, but you find more secure in your Islam and trusting in Allah and so on and so forth. Um, so I can wholeheartedly relate with the aspect you were talking about how um, uh, mental health is a component of Islam. Um, I myself work as a psych nurse in an inpatient unit. Um, so getting exposure to um, the people uh, putting importance on mental health and then meeting Islamic mental health professionals such as mm. yourself um, that that try to um, incorporate the things that you learn within your own spiritual practices. Um, mashallah, that's something that I think is unique and, and that's needed a lot more. Uh, from your personal side, um, have there been concepts or ideas or or things that you've implemented into your own spiritual practice or your own uh, lifestyle? Man, subhanAllah, that's such a beautiful question because funny enough, I, I just had this conversation with one of my friends. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially one, like one of her, cause I just came back, I went back to New York for a wedding and like a lot of people are like, oh my God, like, you know, it's been almost two years. What did you learn? And so on and so forth. Like, yeah, I will lie for me specifically seeing what I've learned being applied, not to just, you know, community, but to myself. Um, it's, it just, again, a whole new thing. And the biggest thing I think we all deal with and, you know, it's more of not preaching to the choir, but it's like not, you know, from this field of mental health is, is that everyone, no matter who you are, man, woman, child, we're going to go through stress and anxiety. And subhanAllah, it's just like the idea of anxiety, there's this very beautiful saying, and I love saying this. It's just like depression and anxiety, is, of course, is the most prevalent uh, comorbid like mental health issues we see in general yeah. in the community and society. Right. So those two like they work hand in hand like usually you're you know if you have aspects of depression you have aspects of anxiety right again it's a spectrum right of what you have and the beautiful saying is is that depression is overthinking the past and anxiety is overthinking the future mm -hmm. meaning we when we dwell in the past it brings us into a very very dark place because it's just like what could we have done right to make the situation better and it brings us into a darker hole and then the same thing with the future is like what can i do to make the future like how can i make the future brighter right thinking like oh can i control it in the end of the day is the idea of control and subhanallah it's just like this thing that we're us as human beings have control of our like of of the outcomes of our decisions see that's a big thing because we you know this whole thing of law and so on and so forth and, you know, manifest destiny, so on and so forth, is right. that we 
think we have control. We have control of our decisions, but the outcome is the control, you know, from Allah. So right. with this concept, right, of understanding that Allah has control, having full tawakkul on Allah, I think is a huge thing where I've learned specifically for myself. And, uh, you know, it's something that we need to first have full, again, conviction in and be immersed in. But understanding no matter what you do, Allah is the, has the best of, has the outcome for us. Meaning we can do everything under the sun. We can plan and plan and plan, right? We can worry and worry and worry of the outcome. But reality is we have no control. And understand we take that stress off of us when we fully can understand that Allah has the, the control of the outcome. It really does open doors of tranquility because you're like, okay, I did what I did. I did my best. I tied my camel. Now, if it's good, and then you may you know that our dua of this khada, right? All of it's good for me. Let it happen. And if it's not, take it away because you're the best of planners, right? With that understanding and how, you know, of course, paraphrasing the dua, but knowing that we, I've done what I had done and Allah, my intention is pure for you, you know, to please you. And the best of outcomes will happen. Either we see it as good or bad. And it's an outcome that is best for us because he knows us more better. So having tawakul is a big thing. I think having in my daily life, no matter if I have a meeting, if I'm going somewhere, like if I'm going somewhere, there's traffic, you know, in Dallas, there's only traffic during two times, rush hours. So I'm like, oh, I'm running late. Fit, I'm running late. Either I made a mistake or so and so. Accepting that there's circumstances. But if I make it, most of the time nowadays, I'm like realizing like when I get somewhere late, it's like the other person's late, right? That's one month right. I hate being late because it's more respectful of someone's time. I don't mm -hmm. care if they're late. If I'm late, I'm like, I feel like I'm disrespecting you. So it's like, this is the idea of the shit, you know, I tried my best and so on and so forth. So again, to answer mm -hmm. your question, I think have, implementing tawakkul, not to the understanding of it, but the actual impl implications of it in our daily lives is something that I've, alhamdulillah, have been able to do personally. Are, are there any specific um, practices that you incorporate into your daily life that reminds you to have tawakkul? Um, for example, maybe that's like affirmations or, mm. or like journaling or, or like making sure you have moments of gratitude throughout the day. Um, like what are those things for you? SubhanAllah, you just mentioned two things, affirmation mm -hmm. and um, what was this, the last one? Uh, gratitude. Journaling and gratitude. Oh, journal, right. right. So mm -hmm. affirmation and gratitude, SubhanAllah, you mentioned those two. So for me... Um, again, this is also like we're taught this, right? You know, if we are taught the right way of how Islam is a way of life and so on and so forth, is that right. I learned about affirmations in school, right? Like, you know, alhamdulillah, like it, it was like, okay, like when we keep on repeating something over and over again, it trains our mind to start believing it, right? And my right. not saying the first 10 times, first 100 times, first 1,000 times, it's just over time, it helps us to eventually ground us. Now think of something, what is something we do repetitively? Like we keep on seeing repetitively. I'm, I'm asking. Huh? Oh, okay. Salah. So we, we do dhikr, right? That's another thing. Like dhikr, dhikr right. is, is yeah. ingrained in our dhikr, is ingrained in our religion. And that mm -hmm. is a form of affirmation. And it's just like, but the thing is, the difference is when someone is affirming something about themselves, you are affirming a limit limited being meaning we have our limitation so we right. can't always so like let's say like uh, this is not saying that you know we need affirmations right uh, like you know i uh, like i am i am beautiful i am this i am that 
and certain days when we're not feeling their best, right? And the thing, but the thing is, is that as humans, this is not me debunking, but I'm taking it to the next level. We need to realize that how can we implement it into our lives? Let's mm-hmm. take it to the next level. Now, going to back to what I said about the luckly, right? When we do dhikr, it's do us simple du'as for Allah. You know, when we say astaghfirullah, oh Allah forgive us, right? Or we say Allah Akbar, Allah you're the greatest. These small affirmations of Allah is for us, not for Him, right? He tells us He's like He doesn't. Allah doesn't need our supplication. Are the supplications for us in the end of the day for Jannah to grant Jannah and you know have our lives, you know, you know, go through life, right? But having these. Uh, what I liked about the divine affirmation, meaning that, oh, Allah, you are the absolute, right? You're the absolute of everything. You are the most forgiving. You are the master of the day of judgment. You are this, 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 right? And us understanding that Allah is the controller of everything. He is the He is the end, right? We can ask for so much forgiveness for other people, but reality is if Allah doesn't forgive us, we're doomed. Right. So this idea that this affirmation of oh Allah you're this this is for us to realize is that it is in Allah's hand and you know He tells us different ways in our beautiful religion, our beautiful faith, and how He can get His love and His mercy and that's why you know dhikr is there, prayer is there, sadaqah is there, so much you know is there, so much khair is there in our in our faith. Um, so that is definitely one thing dhikr and you know affirmations, um, and then gratitude of course it comes within. Dika, right? We're like Alhamdulillah, right? Oh Allah, you know, thank you for this. And something I think I started doing when I was very young. I think I, after I was like, I think it was, which was an, definitely after on a Mulgib class uh, when I was young. We we're taught about you know the small things of being grateful for. This is before I got into psychology and stuff. Every time I see something happen or someone like on the street, you know, asking for money, right? The first thing I do is you know if I especially if I don't have anything to give, I say Alhamdulillah. And it's not more of like, oh, alhamdulillah, he's in that position. I'm this is It's more of like, this is what Allah's giving me. Allah's giving me a car. This person is standing on the side of the road. Or, you know, I see people like walking, especially in the Dallas Sea, right? You're like, alhamdulillah, I'm in the air-conditioned car, right? And like what we're seeing in Gaza and what we're seeing in Palestine, we're seeing all the atrocities across the world. Where I'm here, I'm home. You know, the, uh, you know, I have a screen in between us that I'm learning this. And I said, alhamdulillah, not because, you know, of what's going on, but like, Allah has put me in this position of safety. And in itself, a full circle because within that dhikr, within that gratitude, you know, Allah is rewarding me, but also is bringing me ease in the shayr. That I, you know, he's the, we are, we are in the end putting our full trust in him that he, you know, brings justice. If not here, then in the day of judgment. I think that's a big thing where I use, you know, daily, you know, affirmations and gratitude. So alhamdulillah, you know, get me through, through life. Alhamdulillah. Um, and I echo exactly what you were saying about gratitude. Um, I think that's probably the most necessary thing um, that everyone can implement into their daily life along with liquor, as you said. Um, sometimes we, we, we get caught up in like what we don't have or what we need. Um, and we don't really stop to see like what's already in our life. Um, and a great practice that I started incorporating was uh, when I was journaling a lot more. I need to get back into that practice, but I was journaling like every day for 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 a couple of years. And the practice I would have is just list like three things that I was grateful to Allah for, and that was something that would like 
helped me recognize things that I wouldn't normally recognize in being grateful for, like small things like, oh, Allah, thank you for giving me eyes to see with, right? Something that we take for granted every single day. Oh, Allah, thank you for giving me a bed to sleep. And sometimes I would try to be creative, think of like, what is the, the thing that I would probably never think to be grateful for? And then me like fixate on that and like find a way to, to be grateful for that in, in a matter that is pleasing to Allah, right? So and it, 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 would, it would get kind of funny, right? Like I would be like, oh, Allah, thank you for like my toenails because it keeps, keeps my toes protected or something like that, right? Um, you, you like try to make it creative because there are so many things that we aren't grateful to Allah for and we, we should be, right? Um, so completely like I, I agree with everything that you just said. Alhamdulillah. Um, moving on, because I do know the, the concept of mental health is still something that's not fully appreciated enough or, um, or embraced by our community. It's, we've had some progress over the years, alhamdulillah, with professionals like yourself um, being more vocal about it. Uh, but why do you think the Muslim community um, still has some t stigma towards just the, the term mental health or even yeah. the field of it? Um, and how can we as a community overcome these taboos and stigmas? Michelle, that's a very, very heavy question. Again, I think well, a lot of these questions, you guys are bringing the big guns for these questions. Um, <laughs> it, can be, it can be done over a conversation, but it's something to start a conversation with. For sure. And um, how I want to go about this is um, it's, it's going to be like a follow the process, right? Meaning, so right now, as youth, we are living in, you know, as young professionals and so on and so forth, you know, growing up in the West, um, we we experience different things than our parents did right and this is very very true because it's just like they grew up in another country they grew up in yeah, a different no. society they came to this this you know this side of the world for a better life and so on and so forth mm -hmm. i want you to take a step back or take, you know have the audience take a step back especially the ones that have immigrant parents um mm -hmm. And this is very big because when I, you know, discuss it, this, I feel like I get a lot of brownie points from the elder community when I talk about this, um, is let's take a step back. Let us view life through their lives, right? They came to, they left their comforts of their own home and they came to a country, not only that's, you know, not Muslim, but it's not their culture. It doesn't have the same language, same food, so on and so forth. And they're alone. Right. And when you're alone, think about it. You're in like you're in the jungle. Uh, you're so you're in the wild and you're alone. What's the first thing that comes like? What is it? It's your survival instinct, fight or flight, fight or flight. Right. Your survival instinct. Whereas it's like, I just need to survive. Right. And subhanAllah, especially with the, the, uh, the, the, the elder men in our community. Not only the stress of keeping their family safe, but a financial stress. It's a stress of community. The stress of, you know, of society looking at them a different way, right? Not only being men, but being Muslim men, being a men of color and so on and so forth. They were put in this very, very tight box. And like, it's always something there. It's just, just layers and layers of something. And then you're, they're just like grinding. Their thing is, I just have to make sure my family is alive in the end of the day, right? And to be, to be honest, and I'm going to say this like, I'm going to be, it might get backlash, but like, even though they put their Islam aside and we've seen that time and time again, 
so that survival in here in this you know in this side of the world is eminent right so this survival mindset meaning that i need to grind i need to work i need to work i don't have time a lot of people have lost their islam i don't have time for islam i don't have time for this i don't have time for that right so having this mindset and i'm not saying that it's a healthy mindset but nor am i saying that it's you know the right thing to do there's time and place for everything but this idea of a survival has made a narrow view of a lot of things in mental health smart. and the idea right that what if why why is mental health still a taboo and funny enough my sister is the one who told me about this term i didn't hear it until then and i was like that's the funniest thing i've ever heard she's like mental health is a sh is champagne problem well in general the champagne problem what does that even mean it's stuck for a lot no no like we're not saying like drinking but meaning who drinks champagne people who are partying higher class people you know now it's like wine and so on and so forth but like this it's it's a it's a upper level is when your life is comfortable you can enjoy champagne quote unquote and subhanallah that like that was the thing that was the term because for them it's just like this is a and i'm going to say it this is a white person white people problem you can't have you can't afford to have mental health issues because we're surviving we're here alone you know this like idea of always grinding and so on and so forth this grind culture and so on and so forth it's it's ingrained in us and we're still you know dealing with that that's why you know the community leaders who are not raised here they're still you know hard for them to realize because again they're in that you know now alhamdulillah like, you know, islam has gotten a lot better but now it's like become very very constricted right another huge thing with the survival right and them coming into this country or this side of the world is that when a think about it as your family you have to keep them safe right and subhanallah again like this is more sympathy than it is about you know exposure but it's, it's like when i want people to hear this and think about it it's just like think about it with your parents right again unknown place unknown world so on and so forth and what we talked about before about control when you're in survival that's the first thing you do you can tr you try to control your environment so you don't lose yourself so you don't get lost and so you don't you know drown and so on and so forth so what happened that sense of control becomes a little toxic that's why you're you know, your parents are always worried why you're out so late. Who are your friends who are this always questioning you, always putting you like, you know, curfews and so on and so forth. Oh, you can't hang out with this person because their lifestyle is not great to us and so on and so forth. This idea of constricting, you know, their kids is, of course, at a point becomes toxic, but it's because the their mindset of how do I keep you safe and how do I and the best way to do that is to control the narrative, control the environment. And this is why we come from the, you know, Hanallah, like, it was like, oh, when I finally move out, Alhamdulillah, you know, all this and this and this. Like, you know, I'm out from the shackles from our parents. But the reality of the fact is we have to realize and appreciate what they've sacrificed for us coming here, not knowing a lick of English, right? Not even, you know, knowing if they'll survive. They came here with aspirations and a dream, right? So with this in mind, of course, the mindset of, mental health is again second white people problem it's a second generation problem but the thing is as as muslims subhanallah we need to realize is that again islam is not just a religion it's not you know a lot of people what they do is they box off their life 
They have their social life, they have their work life, and then they have their slam, right? They make that separate and they're like, you know what, I'm going to give it its due diligence. But in reality, the fact is that once we start realizing is that religion, of course, is put it aside, is like when it's put on top, meaning like, how do I view life through our my faith? This changes a lot. And subhanAllah, you know, the the idea of mental health still being a taboo, it's changing. Alhamdulillah, it's really changing. Slowly but surely it's going to change, especially in the bigger communities, right? Everyone's talking about it. Every shoe, mashallah, like that's their grab, right? They're like, how do I bring it back? Let me get an emotional um, uh, sentiment assigned. Let me get, not that clickbait, but like, let me get that thing. But not not saying all of them, but like in general, like, subhanAllah, like this, just thinking about it. I had this conversation with the shoe just recently about him, uh, about this idea of, you know, spreading, doing da'wah, right? Doing, spreading knowledge and so on and so forth. And he was very like frustrated. He was like, man, like I can go and give lectures, 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 but this is like, no one's retaining anything. And it's like, oh, you know, there's people, you know, we're seeing on social media, I was like, you know, there's the feel good Muslims and then there's the very hardcore Muslims and so on and so forth. It's like, there's no like desire to learn for the sake of life. It's more of like, you know, so, you know, how they live their life. And I told him this, I was like, if you really think about it, we're, what we're doing here when the, in, I, to be honest, I don't even think it's in the West anymore. I think it's all over the world. You know, why do people love these big speakers and subhanAllah and a lot of people like, there's like, oh, you know, you're just listening to them just to feel good. Oh, what? And subhanAllah, it's just like thinking, it's just like Allah has, Allah has given us an opportunity, right? And when these speakers are talking, they're not, the impression they're leaving is not the knowledge, unfortunately, but it's how they make you feel. It is how they hit you emotionally that remembers you. It's funny, one of my friends, their sisters, you know, from California, they love Sheikh Omar Salman. I love this, right? And he's like, I will, you know, do this, this, I, you know, I want to meet him. At a... I was like, oh, mashallah, that's awesome. Just come to Dallas, come to Valley Ranch on Tuesday nights, you know, you'll have his, you can hear his lecture. And um, I was like, as a joke, right? And I was like, what's your favorite lecture? And she responded with this. She said, um, I can't tell you one, but I know that every time I hear him talk, he makes me feel good to be Muslim. And I was like, this is this is where that slowly, where we hit hit that, well, you know, a lot of people have coined affective learning, the emotional side of learning, right? Which is, again, psychology, mental health, where how we incorporate the the uh, the emotional side of learning something because if you really, really think about it, think about any of your teachers over, you know, you're, you're, you graduated college, right? Um, a lot, that's what, 12, four, like, you know, 16 years plus. And if you're doing your master's, yeah, definitely plus. Think about a teacher that you love, right? It could have been a math teacher, a music teacher, or, you know, a gym teacher or so on. The fact of the matter is the reason why you love this is not because of what they taught, it's how they taught and how they made you feel when they taught it. That's the one that's going to make it reminisce. So my, again, how do we progress as a community in mental health is that we, of course, have the conversation. That's the number one thing. 
right? A lot of the conversation. There's so much, so much. And subhanAllah, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna also preface this. And this is conversations we're having. We do live in an age, and this is this is uh has to be said, where unfortunately mental health has been used as a way to label and as a way as a crutch, a way to use as a crutch, if that makes sense. Meaning before when no I was growing up or like when the, uh, learning about, uh, you know, certain disorders, it's, it was more of, okay, now this makes sense, right? Oh, I can't read because, you know, I have dyslexia, right? It's just like, again, going back to the term of, you know, if you, you know, if you have health issues with the doctor, if someone has diabetes, right? They're not, they're, I know my dad has diabetes. My aunts have diabetes. One of my close friends from Canada, he has diabetes. And he's like my age, right? And growing up, one of my close friends had diabetes too, right? But they were still living life. They didn't use diabetes as a as an excuse. But we live in a day and age, unfortunately, where, oh, you can't talk to me like that because I have anxiety. You can't talk to me like that because I have anxiety. I'm not saying that, you know, it, we shouldn't, you know, be cautious, right? Especially with people around us. But the person that victimizes uses their mental health to victimize themselves and uses that as a weapon, unfortunately, so that they can get there is very manipulative. And we're seeing that often over and over as an excuse, especially with the youth where there's like where they lash out or they feel a certain way. They're like, you know, it's because of my this, this, this. So we need to go back to realizing that we have these issues as the outcome of our environment and our trauma and so on and so forth. It's not about how do I finally label it and, you know, get the excuse, but realize how do I find out what it is and move from it, grow from it, and using it as a tool to become a better person and not just help myself, but the people around me. Um, so, yeah, I know it's very long-winded, but I feel like, you know, it's a very, very big conversation of how we can move on as a community in the field of mental health and so on and so forth. No, that was all beautifully said, man. Uh, mashallah. Um, and, and especially the part, the last part you were saying how, how people can use it as a crutch. Um, we see this now, even with the conflicts that are happening, um, with, with Palestinians. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I spent some unhealthy amounts of time throughout the day on Twitter. <laughs> and it's, it's very interesting how people can, can skew a situation to fit within their own, like, frame of of mental health right how how israelis or zionists can can say i am very anxious about even discussing this it's like well you're part of the oppression right it's you should feel anxious because maybe that's part of the guilt right sometimes we, we conflate feelings that we're supposed to have with anxiety or or feeling overwhelmed and it's like well you should embrace that feeling sometimes um and i also feel like we 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 do like to blame our elder generation for not seeming understanding us um and you know even the the age-old like just read quran and make dua right sometimes that is the solution and and we've kind of gone to the other extreme of like not doing that of of not Using that as a solution, as a method 
to solve all our issues. Um, Zikr can be such a beautiful thing, man. Like, uh, I, I went to a lecture once and he was talking about the importance of salawat throughout our day. And so I got like one of those like digital Zikr counters and I just tried to do as much salawat as I could throughout the day. And I hit like um, a goal of 500 uh, each day for for months. And, and I saw so many things open up in my life just through that. And that's something I think people don't give themselves the opportunity to delve into. And they, they're so quick to go into therapy, which, you know, alhamdulillah helps. Um, but we should also utilize the means that Allah has specifically given us, like through salawat, through dhikr, through reading the Quran, through dua, right? And and then maybe we can also try these other things on the side, like therapy. Um, <clears throat> talking to people obviously helps. And, you know, if it comes down to it, even meds, right? They, they have their time in their place. Um, no, but yeah, exactly. I completely agree with everything that you said. You mentioned something like, you know, everything has a time and its place, right? We right. need to stop viewing things as the answer and viewing right. things as the tool. Meaning therapy exactly. is a tool to get better. Dhikr, right. Salah, Quran, so and so. It's the tools, right? The medicine mm-hmm. is the tool. Right? If we really, and I'll be honest, if we really view these things as the answer other than Allah's, you know, His pleasure and His qadr as the answer, this is a very big gateway to addiction. Because it's just like when you start Again, idolizing the certain, like, oh, I need to keep on making dhikr or, and inshallah, again, I'm not saying, like, again, there's a beauty in that, but, like, let's use, like, you know, non-Islamic uh, examples, but, like, again, like, going to therapy all the time, is like, when you, it's to a point, and I'll be honest, like, when I was doing my clinicals, and even my therapist friends now, it's like, people just come to them, especially the very anxious clients, they can't make a decision. Every small decision, they need to make an emergency um appointment just so they can be helped with the thought process it's now they're using they're they're getting addicted to therapy because they're like oh that's the answer right yes at a point you know we need to realize is that therapy helps it's there as a tool it's there to help us navigate through our thought process through our emotions and so on and so forth it's very necessary because as regular human beings we don't know how to do that right you can you can read up on how to you know not saying it's easy, but like do heart surgery and there's a procedure for that. And procedures, of course, it has a little bit of leeway depending on the person. But with mental health, each person is a different case, even though they might be classified as the same disorder. The way about it of how to heal from it is always different, right? There's a, there's a set rules or there's some steps. There's a process, but the process is always different for the different people. So yeah, using everything, again, as a tool to, you know, become a better version of yourself and then in the end as muslims we need to realize is that again allah can, this is the control he's the one who has the answers we just have to trust in his in it in it you know in his uh father inshallah yeah yeah 100 no, everyone is, is so different with with what they need um and i see it every day like when i go into work in an inpatient unit like the first time someone has that break they're just so confused and lost and they, they just don't understand what happened to get them to that point because no one really expects to land in a psych ward. Um, but the first time that that break happens, they, they get really hopeless. They they don't really know like where to go from there. And and they, the first question that the people ask, like the nurse that's admitting them, 
is like, okay, how often do you see people come back? Right. And the, and the answer is pretty often, honestly. Like, I have patients that I haven't seen for months and I'm like, hey, you're back. And then it's like, it's like a warm welcome back in, in, in like a, like a funny way. Um, but yeah, like that, that is the answer. Like sometimes they need to come back and that's because they, they didn't do as they were prescribed with their individualized care plan, um, that the doctors and the treatment team formulated for them. Um, and everyone is so different that, you know, maybe they do need continuous follow-ups of therapy. Um, they have like a, a very rigid, um, medication regimen, right? Um, it's really important for, for us to recognize what we need and, and especially like who to turn to, right? Um, we need to have a scholar on hand that we can turn to as well as like, you know, a mental health professional sometimes to turn to. And honestly, as you were saying, like everything does just have its time and its place. Inshallah. Um, so Jazakallah for, for so many gems this whole episode i just have a few more questions rapid yeah, fire course. that we can ask you um you can answer these in a sentence a couple of sentences or for our, however long um that you want to answer them with um so the first one is what is your favorite book you can tie this in with the theme of this episode or just any kind of book that you want to recommend to the audience um as for especially for muslim mental health uh uh chef mikhail mashallah uh from qadam institute he's put out two books um, actually I have one of them here. Um, I wish I had it on hand. I can show you guys. Um, is, but it, it's, uh, is it the first one? The first the one. Mind? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I yes. have that one. Marshall, if you, I don't know. I have mine is like in the bookshop over there, but if you have it, like yeah. you just show it to them, inshallah, or like, uh, that is really good because it talks about, um, like emotional intelligence. Right. And it's a very good first step because his next book, it, how I think how he's doing it is like each book is like becoming a better you know, mm-hmm. version of something, right? Did, did that one get released already, or, or not? Uh, yet? I think so. Though it's it's um, it's about the art of listening. Um, yeah, which yeah. is really good. I don't know if it was released yet, but if he did mm-hmm. put it out, I'm pretty sure. If I if not, I don't know if I was supposed to say. But his his <laughs> line of books, mashallah, been amazing. Um, mm-hmm. especially from the mental health field. Like I I remember how that was the first book I ever read multiple times. If I'll be honest with you. Um, because what I did first, I just read through it and then I read through it again and then put on my, you know, psychology lens. And then I just started like, highlighting. Yeah. and I don't have the honor of being a Dallas. Like every time I in his class, I also, you know, uh, uh, on Wednesdays and stuff is evening classes. He's always mm-hmm. dropping something. He always, always, always brings it back into our psyche. And that's why a lot of people love coming to his class. And I'll be honest, like having this post the post, I look at discussions. It's just like, oh, when he mentioned this, man, he was talking to me. He like he knew I was going through like I was like, does he even know your first name, man? No, but like mashallah, <laughs> that was really good. He's really good. He's really good with faces and stuff. But his books, mashallah, have been really good, really eye opening. And no matter if I'll be honest with you, I've been to people's houses where they're you know not as religious or you know in their journey or super religious and so on and so forth. This again idea of religiosity. That's another conversation. But they always have his book. It's like a staple. I really love it because it needs to be in everybody's shelves. Next question is, what is a country that you really want to visit? 
Well, I want to visit or go back. Okay, so I really, really want to go back to Turkey. Uh, mashallah. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it there only because the food is so much better. Um, and it's just so beautiful. But more recently, um, I've been seeing... Okay, I'm going to say three. I'm sorry. But two Muslim countries. The second one is Bosnia. Alhamdulillah, I've been, I've been honored being you know very close to Kassar Burgess. And he always talks about, about Bosnia. I have some really good friends. I made some friends, mashallah. And it's just people that I know that like I do relief work. They went there. They're like, dude, like Switzerland is, you know, out of the park, even though that's another, that's a, another place I would want to go. But Bosnia seems like somewhere I really want to go, inshallah. But uh, if, if it was non-Muslim, it would definitely be Switzerland because it's so beautiful. Man. Oh, well. um, and what is one bucket list item that you haven't checked off yet? One bucket list item. Ooh, you know, I really don't think about this stuff. Yeah. It's funny. Um, huh. Yeah, first, alhamdulillah, um, I've been able to do a lot in my life. I For think, sure. I think, oh, okay, I'll tell you something funny. Um, it's, it is, I think it is a bucket. So me and my friend, uh, we, we tried to do it this year, but it didn't work out until the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we want to go to every single like sporting event. Not every single. Uh, what is it called? Every single sport. Uh, like, okay. go to, like go to like this year we went to a baseball game when the Yankees came in town, mm-hmm. um, and then um, we want to go to a hockey game, a football game, soccer game, and then shall like you know uh, when you know the UFC World Cup match. Comes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think so. there'll ever be a UFC here, but whatever Dallas can provide. Yeah. Or like anywhere, like you know, UFC is everywhere. You know, they jump around, but like, as like a, I don't know if we call it stationary, but like a city team. So like, right. Even though I don't like hockey, I've heard so many good things about a hockey game. So yeah. pretty much as uh, in one year, go to every like I try to go to every single sport uh, that the city has to offer. Mashallah, that's actually that's actually a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, Mashallah, Mashallah, you, you you guys get to do that. Inshallah. Um, and our final question for today's episode. Is one that we try to ask every single guest, and we get some really creative answers, mashallah. Um, so, really, is an organization seeking to empower converts, born Muslims, and the community as a whole through essential Islamic resources and content. We want to echo, echo the saying of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu convey from me even a single verse. Relay is also inspired by the concept of a relay race, a team working together to complete a difficult task. So, we want to ask you, Brother Muhammad, which Islamic figures throughout history would you have on your relay race team from a Dawa perspective, from the theme of this episode of Mantil Khals, or any kind of answer that you want to fit in? On a lot. This question, I think you guys asked me this before. Um, mm-hmm. I've Till the day I got this question, I've been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And subhanAllah, you can, there's so many, there's so many uh, amazing people in our history, Islamic history, um, but I am, will get a little personal. I don't know if this is appropriate to say, but for me, um, if it's okay, I'll, you know, I can go, go into detail. No, you, so, you can go personal. Yeah. Yeah. So my, a friend of mine, very close friend of mine, um, he asked me something once he said, when did you fall in love with Islam? And I'm like, and this was only a few 2019. And I was like, bro, you know, me and my family, like. We've been following Islam, like the Islamic movement. We've been 
you see us every protest, you see us in every Islamic event in like New York City. It's like, yeah, I'm though Islam is my life. And like that really got me thinking. And I was like, SubhanAllah. Boy, that's actually a very interesting subject. Like what this idea of love and so on and so forth. Like, you know, what does it mean to be like in love with Islam and so on and so forth? And right. and this actually is beautiful to the theme of, you know, what relay is, is right, you know, helping fundraisers like they fell in love with Islam. There was something that brought them, Allah opened their hearts and made Islam enter it, and they were able to come to this beautiful religion. And yeah. as I feel like every single human being has that epiphany, has that time where Allah allows Islam to be like this, like have certainty. Like, okay, Islam is the answer, right? And this is what a love for Islam and love for Allah. It's where you finally put in, you finally understand, you finally realize Islam is the answer. And to me, subhanAllah, if I'll be honest, it's, it was uh, actually more recently uh, when I started studying psychology or I started falling in love with Islam. Like, it, it's like, it's just like a no brainer when you're studying something of the mind or something that's ours, but then you're realizing Allah has been talking about it over and over again in the Quran, right? The Quran, right? What is the the ayat, right? They're not just sentences. Ayat is defined as sign. So they are words from Allah. They are they are perfect in its way because they're his. So even a simple ayah that has nothing to do with spirituality, tazkiyah, and so on and so forth, can still be used in a way of comfort and a way of understanding someone's mind. That's going to attend, but like to go back to the question. Uh, so when I started studying, alhamdulillah, it was gotten more and more. But for me, what who I would have on my relating, um, when this question was proposed to me, um, unfortunately, a few years behind before, my uncle, um, Mir Qasim Ali, rahmullah, he was um, he was executed by the government of Bangladesh, and I was like. I was, I actually, alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed me, my brother, my two cousins to go and visit him Ramadan before. Um, and it was so crazy because like we, no one knew we could be there. Like we had fake IDs, fake papers. And you know, after we landed, we had to let the consulate know, like, you know, we're there and embassy just in case something happened to us. Like it was like straight up from a movie. And subhanAllah, like when, um, you know, people not aware of, the situation that happened where in 1971 when Bangladesh was getting getting their independence um there were so many genocide and war atrocities that was happening with any war right um not justifying it but it's just it's always there and what happened there was a little bit of like in recent years um Bangladesh has gone you know again don't want to make this political but there was this fight against Islam and becoming more secular and in Bangladesh, of course, a lot of Muslim countries, there's like an Islamic party and so on and so forth. So what they started to do, they started to, you know, make up allegations against, you know, people, leaders of this party. And unfortunately, my, my uncle was one of those. And subhanAllah, he was in prison for almost, I think, six years uh, from like 2010, 2013. You know, I, I totally forgot. It was just like, it just, he was just, seemed like he was just always in prison. And right before, like, they put his warrants for arrest, we were able to, you know, 
connect with other Islamic countries. Like he had connections in Turkey and Saudi. He was like, we will grant you asylum. Just come here. And he said something. I was on remember this call. I remember it because we had calls with him like as a family instead of, you know, my dad because it was good to know what's going on. He said this. To, he said this and it still resonates to me today. He said that like, I know what I've done in my life is for the sake of Allah. And if these people want to imprison me because of that, Allah has given me a blessing. Allah has allowed me to become a, a prisoner for his sake. And this is a test from him. And I'm not running away from it. And I'm like, subhanAllah. Like, just thinking about it, this is like, this man who dedicated his life to Islam is willing to go to prison because he was had yakin, he had conviction in, that he won, he did nothing wrong. But also this is a sign from Allah. And subhanAllah, when we w visited him in 2016 in the prison, it was the funniest thing. I, I will be, I, I still think it's fake because as a prison, think about it, right? People are probably like behind bars. Like think about American prison, right? They're either behind bars or like there's a, you know, a screen and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh man, when we were going to go see him, uh, we were just like, my cousin was like, just prepare yourself. You know, you might, if this is your first time and so on and so forth. I know we were like, okay, you know, we're going to do it. We got in through the, the gates, like the car gates of the uh, prison and then parked the car and we got out the car. And then in the entrance of the prison was my uncle. He was just standing there like, he was just a regular person. He wasn't behind bars. And we were like so confused. Like, what is he doing here? And then on top of that, they, instead of taking us to like a small room where we can meet, they took us to the conference room of like the warden. And then we were all talking there. And then as we were talking to him and he was giving us advice, there was not one minute where uh, a, a worker, a police officer, someone came in, gave him, gave him salam, and he talked to them for a good two minutes. How's your family? How's this? Did you, were you able to get this finished? Like he remembered every small conversation he had with them. And I remember like when we were there, we were there for almost like two hours, like the first 45 minutes to an hour. He was sitting with my, his son, my cousin, who was also, unfortunately, he was, he was uh, kidnapped right before his execution. He's still, he's still lost. Uh, we don't know if he's alive or dead. So it's just like, subhanAllah, just our life, I was so much into that, but he just sat down. He had this list of names. And I remember overhearing saying that, oh, okay, did you make sure this person got this money? Did you make sure this person got this tool? And then later we asked our cousins, like, oh, what's going on? Like, why did you have that, like, list? And he's like, that list was every single person in the prison, their family member who is outside. You majority who are female because all the husbands are in jail, right? A lot of them, they couldn't afford a lawyer and so on. So they're just there because they, they just didn't have the money. So what my uncle did, he's created a fund to help these women, you know, be breadwinners of their family while their husbands are, you know, wrongfully in jail. And subhanAllah, I'm like, wow, this is just beauty on top of beauty. And then we left and, you know, that that's the whole story. But then subhanAllah, like, Every single time someone from Bangladesh comes to like U.S. or even growing up, 
no matter who it was, either it was a, you know, someone from like Turkey, someone who was interactive with my uncle. They always said one thing and it's stuck with me. They always says like, he made us feel like we were his best friend. And subhanAllah, when I think about that, that is when, you know, I know a question we had or we, I was talking to someone where that is what the prophet did. Why the Sahabas would give their life for him? Because he made them feel insecure. And I'm like, this is a prophetic character to someone to have. And subhanAllah, like, I feel like that is someone who I look up to um, as someone I wouldn't want to have on my Dawah team. Because not just because of his knowledge, and that's even a different story because alhamdulillah, he was known as like the financial mogul of Bangladesh. Meaning whenever he put his, he invested his time either in a charity product or a business, it would be successful. Like there was, I think, I don't remember, recall how many people have come to our, like because of your uncle, I have a job. Because of him, this, this, this. Like he was actually the founder of the first refugee, Burm uh, um, first refugee camp for Rohingyas in Bangladesh. And my uncle, my dad told us a funny story where when they were young, this is like, again, before TV and all that stuff. Um, they, he would send him on like secret missions to make sure that we had, they had everything for, you know, the camp. Because before there were no human rights, you know, uh, organizations across the world helping Bangladesh, right? No, there wasn't. Especially Rohingyas. He was the first one to do it. And it's, subhanAllah, it's just like, a man that dedicated his life for the sake of Allah to for the work and not being able having the honor not only to be related to him, but being able to talk to him, hearing so many good things after his, you know, his death is a no brainer to me where, you know, other than the prophet and the companions, I would want to have him on my team, inshallah. And inshallah may Allah reward us. May Allah remind us in Jannah. That's such a beautiful story. Um, inshallah, the viewers can find some inspiration in that, in, in the story of your uncle. And and let us also have a beautiful death like that where we know that we've dedicated our lives to Islam and that we're okay with the outcome that Allah has granted us. Inshallah ta'ala. Jazakallah um, for your time. Um, I know we, we've talked for a while and inshallah we get to have many more conversations in the future, inshallah. Um, to the viewers, Inshallah, you, you guys benefited from this conversation with Brother Muhammad. Um, uh, inshallah, I hope to see you soon in the next episode. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum